When Pisistratus died in 527 BC, no one tried to prevent his son Hippias from succeeding him. At first Hippias was kind to the people, but after a while he and his younger brother Hipparchus became so haughty and insolent that a plot was made to assassinate them. Hippias escaped, but his brother was slain. After this, Hippias showed himself so tyrannical that those who had once liked him began to wish for his downfall. There were also some people away from Athens who wished the same thing. These were the Alcmeonidae, who had been in exile all this time. They had always hoped to return, and they were wise enough to know that the first step was to win the favor of the priests at Delphi. They watched for an opportunity, and at length it came. The temple of Apollo at Delphi caught fire and burned. We will rebuild it for three hundred talents, said the Alcmeonidae, and the bargain was made. Now was their chance. They not only kept the bargain, but they did much more, for they made the statues and carvings, indeed the whole building, far more handsome in every way than they had agreed. They had promised, for instance, to make the porch of the temple of limestone, but instead of ordinary limestone, they used the purest and whitest of Parian marble. The Greeks were delighted. The priests of Apollo were ready to do anything for the generous Alcmeonidae. It was an easy matter for them to do favors so long as they had control of the oracle, and they set to work to bring the Alcmeonidae back to Athens. The Spartans were good fighters, and they had long wished to make Attica subject to them. So now, whenever they asked the oracle for advice about any undertaking, the answer was always, First set Athens free. At length the Spartan king Cleomenes marched out with his army, and before long the Alcmeonidae had come back to Athens, and Hippias had been obliged to go into exile. The leader of the Alcmeonidae was Cleisthenes, and he soon became ruler. He succeeded in bringing about two changes that were exceedingly good for his country. He made the people more united, and he gave the common folk a larger share in the government. He set about uniting the people by dividing them in quite a different fashion from the way in which they had been divided before. There had been four Ionic tribes, as they were called, and every man looked up to the great folk of his own tribe and belonged to some party. Cleisthenes determined to break up these parties, and this is the way he did it. He divided the whole country into districts called deems. Then he made a tribe consisting of the people of one deme in the north of Attica, another in the south, and so on. There were ten of these tribes, but the men of the different demes were strangers to one another, and so it was not now nearly so easy as it had been for a discontented noble to raise a party to support him. Since the days of Draco there had been a council which proposed laws to the people, and Cleisthenes now gave each tribe the right to elect fifty members. However, each tribe chose a governor for itself, and also a general, who commanded the army in turn with the other nine, one day at a time. No change was made, however, in the division of the citizens into four classes, according to their income from land, and it was still impossible for a man in the fourth class to hold office. The government of Attica was now a democracy, or government by the people. In the earlier times, no one could be a magistrate who was not a eupatrid. Draco allowed the ecclesia to choose the magistrates from among those who received a certain income from land. 
he admitted all to the ecclesia who could buy arms and armor for themselves. Solon allowed no one to be chosen as magistrate unless, as in Draco's day, he received a certain income from land, but he admitted all the ecclesia whether they could buy for themselves or not. Cleisthenes did not allow the men of the fourth class to hold office, but he gave the people as a whole much more power than they had previously held. There were many new citizens, for Cleisthenes allowed men who had come to Attica from other countries, and even those who had once been slaves, to become citizens. In order to give still more power to the people, and make it impossible for any man to become tyrant, Cleisthenes introduced two remarkable customs. One was called ostracism. If the council and the general assembly of the people thought that any man was getting so much power that he might become tyrant, they asked the citizens to come together. Then each one was requested to write on a shell, ostracon, or bit of pottery, the name of any man whom he believed about to become dangerous to the liberty of the state. If any one man received six thousand votes, he must leave Athens for ten years. This banishment was not agreeable, of course, but it was looked upon as a sort of compliment, for it was really saying to a man, You are greater or more popular than any other person in the state. The second custom was intended to prevent wealthy or powerful men from raising parties to elect them to office. If a man wished to hold some office, all that he could do now was to present his name as a candidate. Then lots were drawn to decide who should be the successful man. Of course, the Greeks were not so foolish as to choose their generals in this manner, and whatever the faults of the two customs were, they did at least keep Athens free from tyrants. The common people were pleased with these changes, but the nobles were not, and they began to make plans to break up the democracy. They appealed to the Spartan ruler for help. King Cleomenes knew that if Athens were a democracy and the masses of the people were contented, there would be little hope of his gaining power in Attica. Moreover, he felt that he had been only a cat's paw in bringing back the Alcmeonidae, and he had gained nothing for Sparta. Therefore, he was not only willing to help, but he induced some of the allies of the Spartans to join him. The allies, however, withdrew. The Spartan leaders quarreled, and the whole army broke up. The people of Thebes and of Chalcis had taken this time to march out against the Athenians. But the Athenians also marched out and beat first the Thebans and then the Chalcidians. Later, the Spartans made an attempt to bring back Hippias, but the Athenians would not have him, and they were obliged to give up for the time the attempt to rule Attica. Athens had gained statues, buildings, wise laws, and a better government. But best of all, she had reached the point where the masses of her citizens were united in caring for their country. Summary Pisistratus became tyrant of Athens. He banished the Alcmeonidae, and was banished himself, but succeeded in returning. He was kind to the poor and beautified the city. He had the works of Homer and of Hesiod put into written form. Pisistratus was succeeded by Hippias. The Alcmeonidae rebuilt the temple of Apollo at Delphi, and the Spartans, by command of the oracle, brought them back to Athens and drove Hippias into exile. Cleisthenes became ruler of Athens. He made the people more united and established a democracy. He introduced ostracism and election by lot.